The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City... Good morning, Story City. If you guys want to stand with me, we'll read uh, scripture this morning. We'll be in uh, Hebrews. Good morning. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 1. I'm going to read our scripture for us. At the end, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and I'm going to invite you to respond with thanks be to God. So Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says this. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. And in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is the word of the Lord. You guys may be seated. If you don't know me, uh, my name is Jonathan. I am one of your directors here for Story City Collective, and I'm an elder candidate at our Granada Hills campus, our location. And so... um, We like to say here, uh, one church, many locations, two locations right now, Um, but we're one big family, and so it's always a privilege when I get to be with you guys. Um, And Throughout the the next couple of weeks, you'll have a couple other um, Granada elder candidates coming through, preaching for you guys and stuff like that. So I'm really excited uh, for today. So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll jump, we'll dive into God's word together. Father, we love you, God. We thank you um, for the opportunity to gather together. God, we thank you that we have your word, and God, that you pursue us in a way that you give us uh, your word so that we can know who you are. God, you want to have a relationship with us. You desire for us to know you intimately. And Holy Spirit, today I pray that you would lead us into all truth, that you would enlighten our hearts and our minds uh, to understand uh, just the love that you have for us. God, I thank you again for this time in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, When we're in love, we act different, especially when we're in love with another person as in a a romantic relationship, right? Uh, The Minute Mingle question today was, what's your favorite uh, romantic movie? And, you know, I'm kind of actually, even though it may not seem like it, I'm actually kind of a romantic guy. I like to be romantic. And um, me and my wife. But when you're in love, we go out of our way to show our love, Right? We start to learn about the likes and dislikes of the person we love, and we start to change. We go above and beyond to earn their affection, and we plan extravagant ways to show our love. And so uh, me and my wife, we were dating in college, and it was coming about that time where I wanted to ask her to marry me. So I talked to her dad. I asked for her hand in marriage. He said yes, and I started to plan. Right? I started to, to figure out, man, how am I going to propose to her? How am I going to make it memorable? How am I going to make it super romantic? And so uh, I was trying to figure it out, and one day she used my phone for Pinterest. And I didn't know this. I learned this at that moment. But you can have secret boards on Pinterest. I don't know if you know that. So she gives me back my phone, and she leaves Pinterest on. I don't know if she did this on purpose or not. We still haven't figured that part out. But uh, there was a board there. As I looked through her Pinterest, it says, ways that I want to get engaged. I was like, Lord, you work in mysterious ways. 
And uh, so I open the I open the board, and there's all these different ideas, right? Like dancing in the rain, right? There's like all these different things. But then my eyes catch one. It says kissing, uh, kissing behind or under a waterfall. And I was like, oh, that would be great, right? Take her, like, you know, to this waterfall, right? Go behind the waterfall, get on one knee, propose to her, and then kiss her behind the waterfall. So I start planning. We're going to be in Pennsylvania. She's from Pennsylvania. We're going to be in Pennsylvania um, in the next couple of weeks. So I start planning. We were going to drive from Pennsylvania uh, to Virginia. And so I started looking up all these different waterfalls, like, you know, trying to find, okay, which waterfalls can you walk behind and which ones. So I finally found one. So. We're driving. I was like, hey, I want to take you on a hike. Let's go check this waterfall out. You know, I know you love waterfalls. We'll go check it out. So she's like, okay, let's do it. And then as we start to go, she's like, you know, I don't really want to go anymore. I'm like, no, 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 no. We, we, we got to go, right? And, and I try to convince her, like, oh, let's go. At the, the, it's not so far. It's maybe like, you know, a couple 30, 40, 50 feet. We just walk around this corner. She's like, yeah, but I don't really feel like going for a hike. Like, let's just go to the waterfall and then just leave the I was like, okay, that's fine. And so we get there and there's like this rock pathway, right, through the water, behind the waterfall. She's like, yeah, I don't really want to get in. And I was like, no. We need to go behind this waterfall, right? And I'm trying to show her my love. I'm like, dude, I'm a genius, right? I have become like the most romantic person in the world. We need to go behind this waterfall. She's just like, no, I'm not, I'm not going. She literally just was like, I'm not going to go in this water behind this waterfall. And so I'm like devastated, right? Go ahead, go ahead and show the picture. I'm devastated. <sighs> So I just get down on one knee. I'm like, fine, have it your way. You don't get romantic. And so uh, I get on my knee and I propose to my wife. Her name's Alexandria. We call her Allie for short. Um, that's the waterfall. See, you could have went behind it. It would have been awesome, right? Still to this day, I tell this story to shame her into not going through with my plan. Uh, <laughs> but I love my wife. I really love my wife. And this was me demonstrating to her how much I love her. And the same way I love Alex... God loves us even more. And because God loves us before the foundation of the world, he had a plan for humanity to live in fellowship and enjoy him forever. You see, our main idea for today is this. In the book of Hebrews, that God expresses his love and plan for humanity through the person and work of Jesus. All scripture is an overarching story that leads to Jesus. You see, God's design for humanity was changed when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And because of their sin, the Bible says that we all fall short as well. And all of history is now a journey back to a relationship with God. And the author of Hebrews is writing to a group of Hebrew Christians. And they're going through persecution. They're losing their families. They're getting thrown into jail. They're being killed. And what's happening is they're asking themselves, is following Jesus really worth it? And some of them are walking away from their faith. And his goal for this book is to show them that Jesus is better. That he's better than anything that they could ever want. That he's better than Moses. That he's better than angels. That he's better than the law. That he's better than everything. And that's what I want us to see today as well. That Jesus is God's final word. That God expresses his love and plan for humanity through the person and work of Jesus. 
So that leads me to my first observation in Hebrews 1, is that Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's revelation. That Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's revelation. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2a says, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. You see, in the Old Testament, God communicated in a lot of different ways. Right? He spoke to various people uh, like Adam and Eve, Deborah, Moses, many others. And this communication took different forms. Right? It was dreams, visions, spoken messages, uh, written words. And the prophets played a vital role in conveying God's character, plans, and desires for humanity. But you see, this mode of communication was flawed. There was a sense of distance and separation between God and his people. This communication did not provide the immediate and personal interaction that human beings were created for. However, God's intention was not not to leave it this way. He was preparing for something better, a communication that would surpass all other forms. John says it this way, John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and Uh, Follow this. And the word, this is God, became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, Jesus is God in the flesh. And when Jesus came, it changed everything. Jesus became the personal and direct expression of God's communication to humanity. Jesus is not merely a prophet or a messenger. He is the complete and final revelation of God himself. I love how A.W. Tozer says it. He says, the son is the express image of the invisible God. He is not almost like God. He is not nearly like God. He is like God. He is God. He is God's final and complete utterance to men. F.F. Bruce said it this way, In Jesus, God spoke to humanity with a finality and completeness that surpassed all previous modes of communication. Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's revelation because with his coming, he reveals the depth of God's love for humanity and God's desire for an intimate relationship with us. That's what we're created for. Jesus reveals the heart of God in a way that no prophet ever could. Church, we no longer have to depend on intermediaries or signs, right? God wants us to encounter him and know him through Jesus. That is why Jesus became flesh. Jesus offers us the opportunity to know God personally and to enter into a living, dynamic relationship with him. Jesus' presence is transformative. It revolutionizes, it revolutionized the way that humans interact with God. It invites us, it calls us, it draws us into a, a, a personal relationship with him. When you confront the story of Jesus, we sang that he's, we, we just sang about it earlier. He is the way, the truth, and the life. When you have to confront that truth, you have to make a decision. Am I going to enter into a personal relationship with Jesus? Am I going to allow him to be the way, or am I not? There's no middle ground there. It's one way or the other. What a privilege. 
What a privilege. We are the only, we are the, the crown of God's creation, and we have the privilege to have relationship with him, to enjoy him forever. He wants to know you, but more importantly, he wants you to know him and be satisfied in him, to bring him glory because he's everything you will ever need. If we have not, if you're in this room and we've not decided to follow Jesus, God is calling us to apprentice him. When Jesus came, that's his call. Apprentice me, follow me. I offer salvation. If you're an apprentice of Jesus, if we are an apprentice of Jesus, God is calling us to a daily, more intimate, surrendered relationship with him. Are we listening? Or are we letting it go in one ear and out the other? Are we that person, right? Are we that person when someone tells us, I love you, we say, uh, thank you, right? Has it ever happened to you? You tell someone, oh, I love you, uh, thanks, right? Are we doing that to God? You see, Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's revelation. But not only that, it leads us to our second observation. Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's power, glory, and nature. He's the ultimate expression of God's uh, power, glory, and nature. Hebrews 1, 2b through 3a says, God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So how is Jesus the ultimate expression of God's power? In three ways, the author says it. He's the heir of all things. That means all things will become his, or they are his. The universe was made through him, that Jesus was a part of creation. And lastly, he sustains all things by his powerful word. Our world is literally upheld by the very words of Jesus. By this statement, the author says that God, the Father, affirms Jesus' divine authority. That he's God. That he affirms his creative power. He was a part of creation. And he affirms his ongoing involvement in the preservation and governance of our world. Simply put this. Simply put it. It's this way. That Jesus is God. He's in charge of everything because he created everything. And everything continues to exist because he said so. It's that simple. So Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's power. How is he the ultimate expression of God's glory? Here the author uses a metaphor. I love it. Um, he, have you ever looked at the sun? Maybe when you were a kid you tried to like open your eyes toward the sun, right? Hopefully you didn't make a habit of that. Um, but, you know, you, you can look at the sun, but you, you have to turn away. If you start to look at it for a long time, you see all those like little red dots, right? You see, it's the same way. Uh, you, you, can't, you, can look, you can't really look at the sun for a long time. You can glance at it, then you got to turn away. You can't really look at it, but if you sit there with your eyes closed and you just stare up at the sun, you can feel those sun rays, right? You can feel its warmth. This is the metaphor that the author is using. You see, the sun is the radiance of God's glory shining forth as the invisible manifestation of an invisible God. You see, God is like the sun. We can't quite look at him. He's, he's unknowable. We, we, we can't really know who he is, right? He's, he's so transcendent of, who, of us as human beings. But see, Jesus is the warmth. He's the sunbeams. The reality of the creator comes to meet us face to face, right? We know God through Jesus. 
This truth reveals Jesus' divine identity. When we behold Jesus, when we look at Jesus, we behold God. The character of Jesus is the character of God. He is the ultimate expression of God's glory. How is he the ultimate expression of God's nature? You see, the Son is the exact expression of God's nature. The, the Greek word he here used is the word character. And what it means is, is uh, it carries this meaning of engraving or, or impression. It signifies that the Son is the exact representation of the very er, uh, essence and character of God. See, in, in Bible times, the, the, this word would have connected to something that was very common. The signet ring. Right? When they would use that ring to, to make that imprint right in wax, that whatever was on that ring would be imprinted in that wax. It was a representation. It was the very, uh, it was an engraving. And see here that Jesus is not just a mere reflection. Right? He is that signet ring. He is that distinct imprint. Jesus perfectly reflects the nature of the Father. In him we see the fullness of God's character, love, grace, and truth. So overall, these statements... They highlight the majestic and divine nature of Jesus, right? They affirm his authority, his role in creation, his intimate connection with God's glory and nature, and his ongoing involvement in upholding and sustaining all things. So church, we need to acknowledge Jesus as God, and we need to place him as creator and make him the center of our lives, right? We need to recognize his sovereignty and power in every aspect of our lives, we need to place our trust and faith in him in every situation. We need to recognize that he alone has the authority and ability to fulfill his purpose and bring about true redemption and restoration. In our everyday trials, are we trusting the creator of the universe or are we depending on ourselves? Are we, are we uh, following after him in his ways or are we trying to make our own way? You see, Hebrews 13 teaches that Jesus is our high priest and that he sympathizes with us. And that he actually wants us to come to him with anything that we have. It says, come boldly to the throne of grace. And so that way, Jesus sympathizes. He knows what we need. He wants to show us his power, his glory, and his nature in our everyday circumstances. Not only for salvation, but for our sanctification. For our setting apartness to be more like him. He wants to show us that, guess what? In our trials, in our tribulations, he's more powerful than those things. He wants to show his nature of his kindness and his love and his justice. He wants to rescue us from the things that bring us down. That's how he shows us his love. That's his plan for us. Is that one day God will wipe away all tears from our eye. All evil will be eradicated. All evil will be judged. And we will be able to spend eternity with God forever and enjoy him in an Edenic state. That's what he wants for us. But he also wants to do that now here on earth. So Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's power, glory, and nature. And that leads us to our third observation. And our last one. Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's finished work. He's the ultimate expression of God's finished work. Look at Hebrews 1.3b. Uh, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. 
You see, the Son of God, John Stott said it this way, the Son of God through whom God created the world is the same Son of God who came into the world to redeem it. I'll say that again. The Son of God through whom God created the world is the same Son of God who came into the world to redeem it. Jesus came to buy you back from your sin. That's why he came. The author in this, uh, in this chapter says uh, that he made purification for sins. And when that was complete, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is the ultimate expression of God's finished work. You see, before Jesus, Israel had to offer sacrifices, right? And so there's two places that talk about these sacrifices. Well, there's a lot of places, but two specifically, Leviticus chapter 4 and Leviticus chapter number 16. And so in Leviticus 4, we find instructions for sin offerings in the Old Testament. The people of Israel were commanded to bring a specific animal to the priest as an offering for sin. And then the priest would make an atonement for the people by sacrificing that animal and then sprinkling it in the holy place. Um, this ritual, right, it symbolized the temporary covering of sins. So that means every time they sinned, they had to do it over and over and over again, right? It wasn't like a, a one time, it's done, it's over and over and over. So what also demonstrated then was the need for a more permanent uh, purification, a more permanent sacrifice. In Leviticus 16, now, that was a special day. It was the Day of Atonement. And so what that was was that the high priest uh, would enter to the most holy place with a sacrifice, right, and make atonements for all the sins of the people. So pretty much any sins that weren't covered in those sin offerings were covered in the Day of Atonement. It was like this broad brush, God forgive us, uh, we're making this sacrifice. Now, this act of atonement was a silent, uh, solemn reminder of the ongoing need for cleansing and reconciliation from God. So they would go into the most holy place, only one person was allowed, and they would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. And this was supposed to signify that Israel, as a people group, was forgiven, that they were atoned, that the atonement had been made, right? And so what the author here is saying, because he's talking to Hebrew Christians, right, is that, hey, that Jesus is that permanent purification, right? Hebrews presents Jesus as the ultimate high priest who makes purification for sins once and for all, right? He, he, he's known as the lamb, the spotless lamb. By offering himself as the perfect and spotless lamb of God, Jesus accomplished what the other animal sacrifices in the Old Testament could not do. That's what this author is saying. So his sacrifice on the cross provided complete and eternal atonement for sin. It's done. That's why when Jesus was on the cross, he says, it is finished. It's completed. It's done. The atonement, the sacrifice has been made. That's what this author is saying. It removed the guilt and reconciled humanity with God. But then he goes a step further. He doesn't just say that, uh, the, the, that, it's, that it's finished, right, that the atonement has been paid. He, he wants to make it even, um, he wants to emphasize it even more. He says this, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. That's important because in other prophetic literature, it talks about the Son of Man coming and sitting at the right hand of God. So he's, he's saying that this prophecy has been fulfilled, that the work is so complete that now Jesus is resting, that it's done, right? You ever go to a, a long day of work and you're, you know, doing your work and you come home and you're just like, oh, man, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm just resting. 
That's exactly what he's trying to paint this picture as. And so Jesus' position at the right hand of God signifies his authority, his victory over sin and death, and his ongoing intercession for his people. Jesus is the perfect high priest through his sacrifice offers complete and eternal cleansing. And his exalted position at the right hand of God demonstrates his authority and his uh, ongoing intercession on our behalf. It's done. But not only is it done, God is there, Jesus is there intercessing for us, telling God, oh, man, you, you got to do this for him. That idea of intercession is he's going on our behalf. So let's embrace this truth, church, that Jesus' finished work of purification for sin is final and complete. We don't need any other sacrifice. We don't need to do any other work, right? We don't need to do, uh, we don't have to uh, do anything else. It's completely by faith. Are we living this way? Are we placing our faith in Jesus' sacrifice? Are we surrendering ourselves to him? We can rejoice in the assurance of forgiveness and restoration through his cleansing power. I'm here to tell you this, church, that we do not need anything else. That it's completely through Jesus. And that, that, that idea of our sins and our guilt and our shame, man, we don't, we don't have to have that anymore. That we, we don't have to allow those things to bring us down. We don't have to work and try to, try to be better. That it's all through Jesus, through faith, by his grace. You see, today we've seen that God expresses his love and plan for humanity through the person and work of Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's revelation. He's telling you, he's telling us that he wants a relationship with us. That he wants us to know him intimately. Are you listening? Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's power, glory, and nature. And guess what? With that power, glory, and nature, he wants to be involved in your life. He wants to rescue us. He wants to sanctify us. Are we listening? Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's finished work. There's nothing else we have to do. All we have to do is have faith. Are we listening? It's so funny. Um, my wife, <laughs> we've been married for eight years now, and some of the husbands in here might relate. When there's times when your wife is talking to you, right, and you might even be looking at her. I know for me, sometimes I'm even looking at her. Sometimes I'm even nodding my head, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I have no idea what she's saying, right? I'm not listening. It's true. There's, there's times, and guys, you're all looking at me like I'm terrible, okay? Your husbands, are, if you have a husband in here, you know that he does that sometimes too, Okay? You know why? Because it takes humility to listen well. We have to submit ourselves to the person that we're trying to listen to. And God is coming to us and he's revealing himself. He's communicating. He's saying, I want to know you. I want a relationship with you. I want to show myself powerful in your life. I, wanna, I want you to feel the complete work that I've done for you. I want to be with you forever and enjoy you. But are we listening? Or are we too proud? Are we saying, nah, God, I got it. I can do it my own. I, I got this. I, I, I know a better way. Or are we willing to humble ourselves to him? Surrender. You see, if you're in here 
And let's say you don't, you're not an apprentice of Jesus yet. Your response comes from Romans chapter number uh, 10. This would be, if you're not a follower, it says this. 10 verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're not an apprentice of Jesus yet, if you're not following after him, if you don't know him personally, this is how you get to know him personally. This is how you enter into relationship with him. It says call on him, believe in him, confess with your mouth. And it says, it doesn't say you might. It doesn't say maybe. It doesn't say hopefully. The Bible uses specific words. It says you will be saved. You will be welcomed into his family. You will be adopted. You will be called a son and daughter. You will be forgiven, restored, and become an heir of the inheritance of Jesus Christ. You can do that today. If you're in here, you say, I'm already following Jesus. I'm already a, I'm already a, a apprentice. Your response comes from chapter 12 of Romans. It says this, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, today we looked at the mercies of God. Jesus is the mercy of God. God showed his mercy through Jesus. In view of the mercies of God, I urge you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. We can go to God now whenever we want. We don't have to go to a priest. We don't have to go to another human being. We don't have to go to a man. We can go, we don't have to go, we can go directly to God. And we, we don't have to make a sacrifice of animals we say, God, you were the sacrifice, and because of that, now I'm going to sacrifice myself. I give you myself, God. I present myself as a living sacrifice. Right? Now in our life, we're going to live for him. Not because it's earning salvation, because we want to show our love. The same way I showed my love for my wife, we're reciprocating the love that God showed to us. That's what we're doing by presenting ourselves as living, walking sacrifices. So church, today, whatever decision, whatever response needs to be made in your heart, the band's going to play. I ask, I urge you to make that uh, uh, response in your heart towards God. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we don't deserve it. We can't earn it. But God, you show it to us and you demonstrate it. And God, you pursue us. Over and over and over, you give us so many chances. You pour out your grace, your love, your mercy, your kindness. God, help those in here, Lord, that are not following after you, that don't have a relationship to you. God, I pray today would be the day of their salvation. God, that they would believe in their heart and they would confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And God, for my brothers and sisters in here, Lord, that, they, that are following you, that we would all commit as a church to be living sacrifices ready tools, God, to be molded and ready, waiting to do your work in our community. God, we, we want to work here in Burbank. We want to see your spirit pour out on our city. And we want it to start here in this room because of your good news, because of your love, and because of who Jesus is. In Christ's name, we pray all these things. Amen.
we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up your eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. And Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Of every breath we could For you. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me in your love and lead me in your love to those around me. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me in your love and lead me in your love to those around me. Upon your love, it is a firm foundation, and I will put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken, I will build my life upon your love. Is a firm foundation.
salvation. I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. And I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation, and I will put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken. Holy, there is no one like you, there is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. 